And as I've you know, grown over the years, I've realized more and more that what wealthy people invest in and what the rest of us invest in are different. Mm-hmm. And until we use technology to help people invest like the top 1%, they will continue to get the results of the 99%, which is the fact that no one retires wealthy and the majority are poor. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Gray, and this is another episode of the Gray Ave Podcast. And to those of you who are just joining us, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, I would like to welcome you to the show. Uh, This is where we learn different types of things from uh, a lot of successful people, you know, those who are out there doing it. And then we try to find what we can learn from them and apply them into our own lives. By that, I mean the lessons that we learn from them. So we discuss anything from, you know, entrepreneurship, real estate, uh, cryptocurrency, and, you know, self-development, that is, um, and anything else that is important. There's no boundaries here. So if you're a person that likes learning and improve yourself constantly, then definitely you're at the right place. All you got to do is subscribe to this podcast, whether on iTunes, uh, whether on SoundCloud, or on my own website, greatjabesi.com. So let's get into today's episode. Our guest is Scott Picken. So this is one of the most selfish podcast episodes that I've ever done because it felt like I was just there learning for myself. Like all the questions that I had about real estate, you know, it was like I have Scott Picken right here. You know, what can I do to <laughs> to get the most out of him? So, you know, I just tried to get as much as I could and you know it was really really worth it so scott picken is a south african born real estate investor and an entrepreneur he is the co-founder of wealth migrate a fintech company that offers real estate investments on its online marketplace through crowdfunding he began offering real estate investment solutions at the age of 26 when he founded international property solutions the huffington post named worth migrate as one of the top 60 real estate crowdfunding solutions in the united states in 2014 so that's according to wikipedia and i will also add to that saying scott is an author of a best-selling and internationally acclaimed book property going global and the most exciting part about that, he said that he will give away uh, free books to all the listeners of this podcast. So I'll put a link in the description where you can go and get the book for yourself. I'm in the middle of reading it at the moment myself. And you trust me, guys, this is, you know, important to you. My phone just rings. I think my sister is calling. <laughs> okay, so, you know, we talked uh, a lot of things, but obviously about real estate at the end. Uh, we jumped into you know some uh, relationship advice which was pretty interesting you know scott is a great guy he has a different look you know his own uh, perspective about life which makes him unique so uh he also has been to naker island twice with richard branson and all that comes full circle on this podcast and i think you guys will appreciate it like everyone else out there i thought i knew enough about real estate that i could go into it you know invest and probably become successful uh, as a real estate investor uh, one day but you know with what scott has had to say he gave it a little bit of a twist 
uh, and he gave he he gave me a whole different perspective of it, which is you know definitely legit since he works in the space. He has helped so many people uh, invest in real estate successfully. So he just changed the way I think about real estate, which I found really 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 helpful, and I hope it does help you guys as well. So I met Scott at the Wealth Migrate event, which was hosted by uh, Wealth Migrate. Uh, they came up with a token that's backed by a real estate, which is called the Worth E token. I hope you guys go around and find, I'll put the link in the description. You can read about it. Uh, and that's exactly where I met David Orban as well, who was my previous guest in the last uh, podcast episode. You guys can check that out as well. And, you know, if you want to get hold of Scott, you can definitely find him on Twitter. It's Scott Picken, uh, chicken with a P, pretty much. That's how he explains it. So, uh, you know, I hope you find him. And, you know, you can use hashtag wealth movement or ask Scott anything, which is one of his hashtags. So go ahead and ask him whatever you want to know. And remember, you can download e this episode as well as all other episodes that I've done and listen to them on your own time. You just have to go to .com. That's G-R-E-Y-J-A-B-E-S-I. Pretty much .com. And you can download whatever you want as well as on your iTunes platform. All right, guys. Enjoy my podcast with Scott. You were telling me a story about why why you don't live in the city. This is, I find that interesting. Let's just share it with the audience. You say, why don't you live in Cape Town? You live in, in Eisner. But all your business kind of is happening, I guess, not there. Yeah, look, I mean, you, no one really runs a successful business out of Eisner. Let's all be around the place. <laughs> so, uh, but no, look, in simple terms for me, I, um, I, I believe in the philosophy that rules are for other people. Mm. And, you know, we all taught in the world, we must do this, we must do that, and et cetera, et cetera. And... You know, I spend a lot of time on an aeroplane, so at least when I come home, I come home to a place everyone else wants to go on holiday. Yeah. And, um, you know, for me, to the, 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 the longer story of what I said to you is I did uh, nine years in London setting the business up, mm. and then I did about three and a half years in Joburg, and I read a book called The 4-Hour Workweek, which mm. I would highly, highly recommend by Tim Ferriss. And I've never figured out the 4-Hour part, but what I did enjoy in that is that the synopsis was most people work their whole life to try and make enough money to retire to the beach, why don't you just go live at the beach? Mm -hmm. You know, so my wife and I are persuaded to move to Cape Town and, and we our head office is here in Cape Town. And, um, you know, for me, I, I loved Cape Town, but my wife really missed her family. So we we moved back to Nisner because her family was there and, and my, you know, we could still have the lifestyle. So uh, it's it's been good. I mean, the, the bottom line is you can actually live anywhere you want in the world now as long as you've got an internet connection. Yes. So, I mean, I think for a lot of listeners here, they have probably read the 4-Hour Workweek and it had an impact on them including myself when I read it it's like it just changed completely what, how I think about time and what's important but let's take it back to your introduction how would you at a, say at a dinner table how do you explain yourself <laughs> I'm the crazy fool having lots of fun no, <laughs> uh, no so, so look I mean in simple terms I, um, I did my first a technology project when I was six. Uh, I did Logo, for those people who know what a turtle is on a Commodore 64. Right. And I did my first property project when I was 13. And I've basically spent my whole life trying to marry the two industries together. Mm. And so to answer, to answer your question, I'm, I'm deeply passionate about empowering people mm. and empowering the 99% to be able to invest like the top 1%. And as I've 
you know, grown over the years, I've realized more and more that what wealthy people invest in and what the rest of us invest in are different. Mm -hmm. And until we use technology to help people invest like the top 1%, they will continue to get the results of the 99%, which is the fact that no one retires wealthy and the majority are poor. So, you know, when, when you ask me how I, how I explain myself at, at a dinner table, the most important thing for me is that I believe in our lifetime we can use technology to solve grand challenges. Yeah. And, you know, property is something that everyone around the world understands, and yet only 12.9% of the world has access to it, and we need to change it. All right. So, in, inside of the, when you were speaking, you gave an example of what happened to your dad. Uh, you know, during his lifetime, could you just run that across? And really, what uh, was was that a defining moment for you in terms of why you started this company? Yeah, I, I would I would say yes. I'm not sure I would have ever been a good employee. Okay, <laughs> not very good with rules. But you know, for me, yes. I mean, the story I shared with you was that you know my dad did what we were all taught to do. So he went to a good school, he went to university, he became a chartered accountant. He became, you know, financial director of Rainbow Chickens, one of the biggest listed companies in South Africa. And, you know, he, he invested all his money with the financial industry and he retired at, you know, 49 to early retirement and he unfortunately died at 59, broke. And, um, you know, it's, you know, I can go, I mean, if I can share the book where you can give it to the guys for free, the book Property Going Global, which is my book and it's got the story in there. Okay. And I tried to show to my mother, my dad gave the financial industry in 1999, 500,000 rand. Uh, sorry, 1995. And just taking the average APSA housing index, so not even anything clever, just any four houses, and they'd put down a deposit, which would be roughly 40%. So f they'd put down, so they'd only borrow 40% from the bank. So they'd put down 60% deposit, 40% from the bank. So it's very low risk. Mm -hmm. My mother, by the time my dad died, would have already been earning a really nice passive income out of the real estate portfolio. Right. And by 2015, it would be fully paid off, and she would have you know, significant net asset value and a passive income of over 2 million rand per year. Right. Okay. Now, that's in comparison with the negative you know, growth that the, that the industry got. And so, so to answer your question, it's a long, uh, you know, I'm giving a long answer to, to your question, but that, you know, my whole life experience has been one to go, this is not right, and we have to enable more people. But, so when I started my first company, I was helping people buy houses and apartments. But the problem is, if you don't have in Cape Town 100,000 Rand mm. you cannot participate like that's just even a sure. deposit on, on buying a property and you still yeah. got to get a mortgage and everything else so it's still you're excluding the majority of people and so you know I sort of, sort of think well why don't we use technology to let people get access and then lastly I know this sounds terrible but you know no billionaires become billionaires by buying houses or apartments mm -hmm. it's actually a middle class investment yeah. and I know that sounds terrible for most people who are listening to this but the, the, the aim should not be to buy a house or an apartment, it should be to buy commercial assets, which is what the top 1% invest in. Right. So, now, you just, exp you just blew my mind right now. So, you let know... Me, let, me, let me categorize <laughs> that. Let me categorize that for you quickly, okay? So, wealthy people invest for income. Yeah. Okay. Middle class people invest, invest for capital growth. Yes. Why do you think they get excited about Bitcoin and they like to buy houses because houses go up in price? Okay? Yeah. 
There's virtually no property in South Africa that is cash flow positive, particularly when you buy it from a developer. Mm -hmm. So it makes technically no financial sense because you, you're not getting cash flow out of the investment. Okay, so let's just give a basic example. If I buy an apartment today, yeah. what do you say about that? Well, so you buy an apartment here in Cape Town, mm -hmm. okay? Let's say you buy it for a million rand. Mm -hmm. It's gonna cost you plus minus 10,000 rand for your mortgage. And your rates and taxes and your know, body corporate and everything probably cost you another 2,000 rand. So it's gonna cost you, all in you're gonna be in for about 12, 12 and a half thousand rand a month. Okay. How much rent would you get for a million rand apartment in, this, in Cape Town? Probably 10,000. Okay, yeah. so you're gonna to have to put two and a half thousand rand in every month, you're gonna to have yeah, to pay yeah. to own that apartment. And levies as well. As well. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. So yeah. it's going to cost you money, okay? Absolutely. Now, so, so the only reason you would do that is that you hope that the value goes up. Sure. So, so you're effectively investing for capital growth. Right. If you invest in a hospital, the day you invest in it, it starts paying you money. So my, my, the hospitals I invest in in America, they pay me between 8 and 11% cash on cash. So what that means is if I put $100 in, I get paid $8 every year, cash, over and above all the expenses. So your house, the, we're just talking the hypothetical mm -hmm. apartment, mm -hmm. you're paying in money, and my hospital is paying me money. Yeah. And it's getting the capital growth. So wealthy people invest in commercial assets because they actually pay them passive income. And passive income is what gives you freedom. Because if you've got passive income, you can do anything you want in the world. Yes. Yeah. You, 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 you work because you want to, not because you have to. Mm -hmm. It's all about passive income. Capital growth is a nice to have, income is a necessity. So it's more, so the other, I see now that the other vehicle is really about, it's also speculation really. So I don't, with the example that you gave, one could say Bitcoin speculation and property speculation is the same. It is. Yeah. It is. And no, look, it's, 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 this is serious. Eh? Yeah. So, so, so the problem is, is that everyone in the middle class is trying to look for that quick win. Mm -hmm. Hey, Bitcoin's cool, I can put yeah. it in at 5,000, it becomes 10,000, woo, I made some yeah. money. But actually, again, wealthy people invest with a mindset of investing in assets that provide an income. And you know those assets still get you capital growth, but that capital growth, they tend to reinvest in more assets to get more income. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? And so it's just, it's incredible this mindset, you know, and how important this mindset is. And that's why for me, what we try and do is the technology is just an enabler, but the education is as important. Yeah. Because sometimes you don't even know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So, you know, the narrative of saying a house is kind of a, the safe investment real estate, it's actually obviously, you know, designed by the banks and pull it out there to the people. But with the example that you gave about your dad, it seems like the odds are pretty much stuck against you in any way. You know, whether you have a safe job or you know, in, in any kind of form that you're earning income at the moment. So how do you get access to those kind of markets? How do I invest in a hospital instead of buying a house right now? Well, let me just answer, you know, you said the odds were stacked against us. They are very much stacked against mm. us. So, and statistically for decades, you know, nearly the whole of the last hundred years, mm. in the Western world, so that's England, Australia, and America, less than 1% of people at the age of 65 retire wealthy. Now that's not even taking into account Africa, Asia, South America, India, which I guarantee you will be even worse. Yeah. My point being is that everyone's been taught, go to school, try to go to university, get a good degree, get a good job, pay your pension, invest, pay your tax, and you'll retire wealthy. Mm -hmm. Doesn't work. Okay, so to answer your question, how do you get access to it? Well, 
the first thing I think is you've got to change the mindset. So we've been talking a little bit about books. One of the best books that I recommend to everyone is a book called Think and Grow Rich mm. by Napoleon Hill. It was written in 1937. Because actually creating wealth and, and creating freedom you want in your life starts with your head, like your brain. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is that with technology now, you, you, you can get access to opportunities. So whether it's uh, equities, there's a, there's a platform here in South Africa called Easy Equities. So you can go on there and you can invest from one rand. So in the, in the past, if you want to invest in the stock market, you had to go to a stockbroker. You know, if you wanted Nuspeshers, like these guys behind us here, you know, they were 2,000 rand. Most people didn't have 2,000 rand. You can, go on, you can go on Easy Equities now, you can invest from one rand. You know, in the real estate space, property space, We've got Wealth Migrate, which, which is our platform, wealthmigrate.com. And you can basically go and from a thousand rand, you can invest in deals in South Africa, England, Australia, and America. You can basically do everything online uh, in a couple of minutes, basically. And then you manage all your assets in one place. Right. And so for me, why, why that's exciting is that, you know, I shared with you when we were on stage there, the, the story of the, the hospitals in Australia and the fact that you needed five million Australian dollars to invest back yeah. in 2009. And you know, since 2013, I've invested in every medical deal they've done, but sometimes with as little as $100. And you know, that, that's, that's a material thing because I'm learning while doing, and I'm investing with people that are far more experienced than me and, and are helping do the due diligence and everything else. And so I'm partnering with them. Like we're aligned in the process versus a fund or a REIT where I'm giving them my money and I'm hoping they'll give me a return, but they charge me lots of fees in the process. So. You know, what drove me into crypto was that I was trying to look for um, a vehicle that would multiply my money, right? If I looked into, you know, I didn't have a lot of money at all. So I was looking for something that's easier. You know, I can literally just go in and invest. And all these um, investment vehicles, the problem was they're so kind of a lot of red tape and, you know, due diligence to do. You have to go through brokers. So it was just throwing me off. So when I saw crypto that you could really just, if you have Bitcoin, you can invest in all those kind of platforms, it just opened my mind. I'm like, you know, this is how it's supposed to be. So that's how I got into it. Um, and now we seem to have platforms like yours, you know, where uh, are coming with the same approach. Whereas, look, it's really as simple as doing A, B, and C. But what do you think for an average person to understand, what would it take to understand that, you know, when you you buy a token like yours, for example, or any other token that's yeah. backed by you know real assets, that they're actually buying an asset out there. How do you convince some someone about that? Yeah, look, I, I think you know something that I've been saying more recently is that if you look statistically over the last I don't know how long it is, thirty or forty years, ninety six percent of startups fail. Mm-hmm. That's the stats, okay. And, and whether we like it or not, those are the facts. Okay. Yeah. So the chances of the ICO is failing. 96% of them are probably going to fail. Because mm. what is an ICO? It's a company. Yeah. So the chance of a, of a startup company failing statistically for the last 30 or 40 years is 96%. 96%. Yeah. So my gut feel, and a lot of people say 90% of ICOs are going to fail, I think it's 96% because statistically 96% of companies fail. Okay. Yeah. So to come back to your question, you know, I think people need to, I think there's three things that people need to take into account when it comes to the crypto market where it is. The first one is they have to realize there is going to be a crash. Mm-hmm. We may be in the middle of it already, but there is going to be a major crash, okay? Just like we had the dot-com boom bust. Mm-hmm. So they need to start preparing for that. You know, it's like trying to bet against winter. Winter is coming. Yeah. Okay, so the very, the very first thing they need to do is they need to make sure that, they, that whatever they invest in, they believe can see when, go through winter. Mm-hmm. So that needs to be an existing business with an existing team 
that that is solving a grand problem. That's the first thing. Right. The second thing for me is that you know, in terms of the, again the ICO space, again ninety six percent of them probably going to fail. Mm. So what people need to strategically look for is that even though the internet had a dot com boom bust, that didn't mean that Google, Alibaba, Salesforce, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, didn't come through. And so there are very good companies that are being built at this moment that will stand the test of time. Mm. And they need to try and aim for those type of companies that are, that are solving grand challenges, but more importantly, have the team to execute. You know, because everyone's got this sort of wild, you yeah. know, um, we're going to blockchain everything, but actually whether you can or not, it's a yeah. separate yeah, conversation, yeah, yeah. you know. And, and the third thing that I think is, 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 is relevant in the space is, is, I believe, you know, is actually try not to be caught up in the hype. Mm-hmm. You know, just because Joe Soap says it's a good thing or Jill Soap says it's a good thing. Yeah. You know, you, you actually need to, I, I've learned, I'm not that old and I'm not that young. I'm sort of, I'm 40 now, 41. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't really know where that puts me anymore. But my point being is I have actually seen a crash. I've seen two crashes now, um, both the dot-com boom bust and the, the real estate, effectively American financial crisis. Mm-hmm. And two things stood out clearly in both those crashes. Fundamentals don't change. The business fundamentals of business do not change. Yeah. And when the internet boom bust happened, it was because they were doing stupid things where the fundamentals of business had not changed. Yeah. And in real estate, it was the same thing. Like people were investing for capital growth and it's about income and, the fun- and so that caused both the crashes. In the ICO space, it'll be exactly the same thing. If people stick to the fundamentals, then they will have long-term success. If they think that it's a completely new fad, mm. they're gonna get hurt. So uh, what do you think, that being said, what do you think of the Cape Town real estate market then at the moment? Is it more of a bubble itself as well? Because it's, it's just been growing like crazy. Yeah, look, so, so I think one has to be very careful in Cape Town mm. um, in, terms of, in terms of values. And again, you, I mean, a, a market's a big place, you know, so there's a big difference between the center of town and somewhere else. Yeah. There's also different sectors. You don't only have to be in residential, you can be in other sectors of the market. Um, I do believe there's obviously been a huge influx of people moving to Cape Town mm-hmm. in terms of what, you know, and that's, you know, that's driven it. I mean, it's becoming quite a, a tech hub. You know, a lot of people, yeah. it's a beautiful city to live in. So long-term sustainability, I, I don't think there's any issue with Cape Town. But, you know, I always come back to the fundamentals. Do the numbers make sense? If you're buying a two and a half million rand apartment that's going to pay you, that, that's going to cost you 25,000 rand a month plus rates and taxes, mm. and you're getting paid 15,000 rand a month in rent, the fundamentals don't make sense. It's only a matter of time yeah. until there's a correction. So, for people... And I mean, that's not even saying, because interest rates are going to go up as well. Like yeah. When they oh, go yeah. up, that's when, that's when the music switches off. Right. So, another most important point is, for someone like myself and a lot of people out there who have probably made some money in the crypto space, right? We don't have as a credible credit record as the average person who has, you know, hundreds of thousands in the bank. So my track record uh, is obviously different. They cannot give me credit or I cannot have a mortgage, even though I would have cash. How would I position myself for a position where um, I have an advantage in the market, like in real estate? Because I'm not going to get a mortgage. Do I buy cash? That's a a wonderful question. So please don't ever buy cash. Um, <laughs> you're, you're the third person on this podcast to say that. So. No, really. No, please yeah. don't buy. So there's smart money and there's dumb money, and, mm-hmm. and it's dumb money to buy cash, basically. Okay, so, so, so for me, there's a, there's a couple of things. One is partnership. Mm. So every property, I bought my first property uh, when I was 22 years old. I did my first development here in, in Cape Town when I was 19. And um, every one I haven't done on my own, I've done it through partnership. Mm. So you might have cash. There might be someone else that can get a mortgage and doesn't have cash. The two of you come together, and now you can buy a property. 
Oh, okay. One, one plus one can equal 11. Right. So, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that you're in the millennial generation, mm. and I don't believe you have to necessarily live where your asset is. Yes. So what I mean by that is that, you know, you can move around and travel and see things and whatever, but what you don't want to do is get to 40 and own no real estate. Sure. So why don't you get started? And, and you know, you might find that the return, and, and I don't care if it's Cape Town or America or Australia or England, you might find the return in a medical building in America is actually far better than you're going to get in Cape Town. So why don't you invest your money and get a better return, but live wherever you want? That's, yes. a, that's the second yeah, thing. Okay? Mean, yeah. The third thing is that, to, to answer your question of how, how we do it, is that we actually partner. So like in America, we partner with Americans. In England, we partner with English people. In Australia, we partner with Australian people. And they get the mortgage. Mm. So you're still investing in a medical building and you're still getting the gearing, effectively with the bank debt. Yes. You're putting your cash in, I'm putting my cash in, but, we, but we're borrowing on their credit record. So we're still getting better rates and better returns. Yes. That's why we're getting such good cash on cash. But then how do you secure that, that kind of uh, investment in terms of law from the legal standpoint? It's like, okay, are you partnering with friends, companies? No, well, what? I, I mean, we do it all on the platform. Oh, so our okay. whole platform okay. facilitates that, okay. basically. Okay. So the entire deal is done on the platform. Mm. And you and me as an investor just go on the platform and invest, and it's all taken care of in terms of the process. Right. And that's, so for me, that's the third thing, you know, in terms of, in terms of your process. And the fourth one that, you know, I, I think, you know, as, as someone who, who's your age, there's, you know, life is about you've got to have diversification, mm. okay? So if you basically took all your money, and whether you put all your money and bought the house cash or you even just took all your money and put it in as one deposit, mm. you then tied up in one country, in one asset, in one currency. Right. Which is suicide, financially. You know, so, so you could basically invest in multiple assets in multiple countries and multiple currencies. Effectively become a global citizen. Mm. And the earlier you start, the earlier you'll get to where you want to get to. And what's the benefit is that most cities in the world, like great places to live, like Cape Town, the rents are actually far cheaper than the cost of owning the property. Yes. So you can own better assets in better jurisdictions and live where you want to, like a king, mm-hmm. for cheaper. So for the people listening, you definitely mean you could probably own a property in Johannesburg and live here. You know. That's exactly what I did. Yeah, yeah. I, owned my, I owned two flats in Bryanston. I rented them each out for 12,500 rand a month. And I rented at Woodbridge Island for 8,000 rand a month. I was paid mm. the best part of whatever the numbers are. What's that? 25 minus 8. I was paid 17,000 rand to live in Kata. Right. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, seriously, that, that, was, that was it. So I was getting paid the rent there and I was paying the rent here. Mm. And I lived on the beach in Kata. I was like a no-brainer to me. So let's The just only thing that messes with that is marriage. I'm dead serious. Like, I'm not being so optimistic. Once you get married, then your wife goes, I want a house. Yeah. And the whole financial thing doesn't make so much sense anymore where you want to put your roots down and actually have a home. And that's why a home is not an investment. But that's a separate conversation. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think... A home's this- like having a nice boat or a car. It's not an investment. Yeah. You know, the thing is, it's, these things are being said out there, you know, for some people like you. Like, you know, a home is not an investment. Yet, the majority of people still think that owning a home is an investment you know they're like oh I'm investing on buying a house it's like if you're gonna live there how is that an investment then you know but just simplify the majority how of people end up 99% not being wealthy I'm yeah. not being oh. I'm not being rude I'm just pointing <laughs> out the facts basically yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, like. yeah. Uh, so in, on your platform let, let's just break it down to how it works and if one invest 
how do they actually get returns on what period and all those kind of things. And it's a token base, so obviously you know, there is a huge chance that those tokens will go up in value as well. Yeah, so yeah. well there's, there's two parts to it, okay? So, yeah. so the platform that's existed for a number of years called Wealth Migrate, mm. you can go on, you can invest in crypto or you can invest in fiat. So if you don't know anything about crypto, you don't have to know anything about, you can right. literally use rands, dollars, euros, whatever you want to use, okay? So let's talk about the real estate side first and then we'll talk about the crypto. So on the real estate side, there's four steps. You go online, sign up, you've got to do your KYC and stuff like every other platform. The, the second step is you effectively go and choose the, 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 the asset that you like. So which property, which building do you like? We're not a financial advisor, we're not a fund. So it's not a whole bunch of properties blended together. You get to choose, you go and say, hey, I like that building, I'm gonna buy that building, basically. The third thing is that you can do the whole transaction online, everything's online. And the fourth part is you manage the whole process in one place. Mm-hmm. So that, that's basically, that's how the real estate process works. For us, where the, where the token comes in, the wealthy coin, why are we doing it is, is, is for, we really want to unlock the whole ecosystem. Like I, I dream about getting it to a dollar per person per investment. Mm-hmm. I can't do it with the current fiat model and all the middlemen and friction costs. So for us, it completely unlocks the ecosystem. It, it incentivizes people that are involved in the investment process, incentivizes people that are involved in the due diligence process, the people involved uh, education. So we've got a, a beginner, an intermediate and advanced courses and all the education involved. We've got the whole community, which is sort of what today's about. And then the whole purpose of solving the wealth gap. And all five of those elements are, are the foundations upon which the wealthy coin is, is, is built. And that's really what unlocks the whole ecosystem. And so for us, it's effectively a token, a coin, a currency to unlock the whole ecosystem. So you say if one invests with fear, like how do they get the returns? Is that, uh, do you have a, a cycle? So yeah, so, so again, in the real estate deals, there's two types of deals. Mm-hmm. There's a, a growth deal. So let's just say it's a new building. I don't know, I can't see a new building around here. But anyway, if there was a brand new building, it might be an 18 to 24 month project. When you get in, you know the time of the project, you put your money in and you get your return on exit when the project finishes. In income producing assets or something like the building we're sitting in, that we buy the building and you get paid a return every quarter. Right. So every in commercial assets, they generally collect the rent every quarter. So collect the rent every quarter and we pay the returns every quarter. So you'll, you'll get paid a return every quarter. Absolutely. And for the token, obviously, the token value increases, then, you know, that's, that's how it works. Correct. So I think for the guys that are into crypto already understand that. And just to get back to the property fundamentals. So if I have to go out of South Africa and say I want to set it up somewhere in Africa just because I have an advantage for the currency, you know, uh, the, if I'm using the rand or the dollar, I have more advantage there. Yep. Um, the dynamics, because you know, culturally and economically is different in, in a lot of sides. You've been to Malawi, for example, yep, you know yep. how it is. How would you approach the, the market there? Because I don't, is it, would you go to residential or would you go to kind of, uh, you know, this kind of properties? Yeah, so we've got a three-step process going into every country. Hmm. The first step is that we go in from a demand perspective. So I, I said today already, we're in 111 countries already. Yeah. That's primarily 100, 111 countries already. Oh, wow. But that's demand. That's where people in those countries are wanting to invest into um, supply countries. So yeah. the, on the supply side, we're only in England, Australia, America, and South Africa. Okay, now there's a, there's a, there's a really important about that, is that we're in countries where we've got long-standing experience, long-standing relationships. Um, it's the first world, so you're protected by law, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Okay. With time, 
I see a future, you know, five, ten years from now, where we will be in Malawi doing Malawian property, mm. or in China, or in Russia, or in Saudi Arabia. But we've got to go very slowly, because if you make one mistake and people lose money, yeah. there's not going to be a lot of forgiveness in the market. So on the supply side, we're going very slowly. And then the second part of your question is, what do we look for? Mm. We prefer to look for commercial assets than residential. And the reason is, is the commercial is much more stable. Oh, okay. Again, wealthy people get wealthy yeah. out of investing in commercial assets, not in residential. Yes. So if we do residential, we like to go up the value chain. As an example, we're involved in a development here in Cape Town. It's the tallest building in Cape Town mm. that's being built zero to one. And there's 197 investors that have invested in that building with me. And my point being is that we've gone up the value chain. We've partnered with a developer. So we're not buying the end product. We're part of the development. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we go into countries, we, we really go slowly. And the last thing, if I went to Malawi, the thing I'd like to start with in every country is medical. Okay. Everyone needs doctors. Okay. So if I go there as an individual, not as a company, uh, what am I going to build? I mean, I, I'm not a doctor myself. You know, so do I look for deal? Do I meet with developers? You know, looking at what they're trying to build or yeah, so, so the way so the way we operate is, you know, in in the long way there will, there will be a medical practice mm. uh, where the doctors, you know, uh, go etc. We we tend to is often a main hospital and we look for auxiliary commercial. So to answer your question, we don't go and look for deals. We don't go and look for land or try and build. Mm. We go look for partners. So we go look for the person that's got experience in doing medical buildings in in Malawi okay. and then we do a partnership with them and then we on the platform help people invest and partner with them all right that's so that's why we cut out the middleman because they the person doing the the, the investment mm. you've got the investor and we put them straight together there's no one in between basically another question of just noob or newbies coming into real estate so there's this saying about off-plan buying I live in Tuyanka Bay so just next to my house there's a new development coming up they're like I think they're selling for 2.7 for a one bedroom. So there are things that people say like, okay, if you buy it off plan, by the time it's finished, the value kind of goes up by 10% or something like that. Are those true? Well, what has been experienced to that? <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous. I don't know anything. No, no, it doesn't sound ridiculous. <laughs> I helped two and a half thousand people buy apartments and houses. So I, uh, yeah, like I've been part of it. I mean, I've helped. Uh, the best I ever did was I, I sold 86 properties in one day. 86 yeah, at a, at a launch in London. And um, and so, yeah, I, you know, I've, I've... Am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Oh, 100%. <laughs> it's raw, this podcast. I used to believe that bullshit. Yeah. Is the best way to describe it. So what they basically say to you is, you know, it's a 2.7 million rand apartment. You mm. put down 10%, it's 270,000 rand. It's going to go up by 10%. So effectively, you know, it's, it's going to go up to, call it 3 million by the time you take ownership. Mm. That means that you've put down 270,000 rand, it's gone up in value 300,000 rand, so you've actually made 100% return on your money. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's the story. That's how, that's right, how it works. Right. And uh, the way it really works is that long-term developments, the, the market changes, and, you know, you, you, don't, you end up, so I own, I still own, about five properties here in South Africa that I bought in 2007 mm. with that same story. Okay. And today they still don't make me money. Today. Like literally 10 years later, I'm still paying money in. So where the rent is 5,500 Rand and you know, the costs are 7,000 Okay, so you know, this is one thing that hasn't been said or it's not even being sold to, to the audience a lot. Whereas you can lose money on a real estate deal. 
it seems like when you ha- you own a house, people think you just collect rentals and it only goes up every year because if I'm trying to rent, my landlord is going to say it goes up by 12% a year. But, uh, you know, just give an ex- as an example that you give that, okay, you, you can lose money as well. Yeah. And also, this belief of saying the prices only goes up is not true, right? Well, what in, are the factors well, in, that happens? Well, well in America prices? in 2008, 2009, the mm. property dropped between 40 to 70%. So to put that in perspective, you yes. go and buy your 2.7 million rand apartment mm-hmm. and it drops by, let's just argument, say 50% and it's now worth 1.35 million, but you still owe the bank 2.2 million yeah. or two and a half million, whatever you yeah. borrowed from the bank. Yeah. It's, it's basically being, it's called, it's called where you're underwater and mm. now you've got a problem. Yes. Like, because now you've got a serious problem because now what do you do? Now you owe the bank more money than the property's worth. Okay. Mm. So... I can't overemphasize this enough for, for yourself and for your listeners. It's all about the income. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in America, houses, which was pretty much the last uh, real estate crash, major one in a long time. The mm-hmm. last one was in England in 1992 before that. And South Africa actually in 1999. And what happened in America in 2008, 2009 is the residential market fell off a cliff. Okay? Yes. Literally 40 to 70% depending on what city you're in. The commercial medical space, I'm just using that as an example. I'm not saying it's the only one, I'm just giving mm. an example. Our partners in the medical space, do you know how many tenants left during the crash? No. Not, not one. Oh, okay. Not one tenant left. Yes. Now, if not one tenant leaves, that means your income is paid every month. And if your income is paid every month, then you just ride straight through a crash. Now, does the value of the building maybe go down? Maybe. Mm doesn't matter. Yes. You're getting paid your income every Absolutely. month. Absolutely. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so what I learned from the last crash, I was about 30 years old. Uh, it was 10 years ago. I was about 30 years old at the time. Was the truly wealthy people invest for income because income takes you through the ups and downs of the market. Yes. Middle class people invest for capital growth. And unfortunately, when winter comes, they get a hiding. Yes. Because capital growth goes in the opposite direction. You know what the problem is? It's probably because of this sense of ownership. They... Only most people only understand as a concept of ownership when it actually say this is my house, you know. Yeah. To say to invest in a in a property deal, whether it's a medical, uh, real estate, it feels almost like they don't really own it. So I think it's a mindset of ownership. You know what people believe what ownership is. It's probably the same problem with Bitcoin about what money is. You know, kind no, of yeah. Thing, yeah. Look, I think I think you've got a very valid point, and don't get me wrong. I've sort of I sort of play a little bit with the, with the marriage thing mm. like I've, I've so up until 35 I basically you know when all my mates in Joburg were buying big fancy houses mm. I bought two flats and so my wife and I lived in the one flat and the other flat we rented out so mm. so rather than having a big house in Joburg we had 12 and a half thousand rand coming in from the flat that we were renting right and um, and when I was in London you know a lot of my mates went and bought a nice fancy apartment and my mate and I didn't. We bought a, a three-bedroom house that we converted into five bedrooms, and we rented one room each, and then we had three other rooms that we rented out. It was cash flow positive from day one, from 2002. Yes. Why do I tell you this story? Well, when I got married at 35, my wife was like, okay, I'm tired of your games now. Like, I want a house. Mm. <laughs> and, 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 and she's right, because mm. it is nice to have your own home. And it's, you know, and, and it's like the other luxuries in life. You know, why do you go to the pub and enjoy a beer? Why do you go to a restaurant and have a nice meal? Yeah. Owning a house and having a sense of ownership is really nice. Like, it's nice to know that your landlord can't come to you at the end of the year and go, you're out. Yeah. You know, it's your house. So please understand, I'm not being negative against owning a home. Mm-hmm. And I personally think that all that people need to do is divorce having a home and having an investment. Yes. And what's really important is that you can do both. 
Right. So again, with where technology is going and with the small amounts you can now invest, and whether it's crypto or mm. the stock market or real estate, you can invest small amounts. And, and my request to people is just to start dipping the toe and start learning. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you can really get on the, you, you can start on the path to wealth earlier than you think mm. by getting started basically in terms of the process. And I promise you, the more you get involved, like me, I owned a number of properties, residential housing apartments here in South Africa. And after the last couple of years where I've been in commercial, I'm like, I don't want the hassle of this stuff anymore. Yeah. You know? And then I'll give you one last thing, which is a bit, you know, it's a little bit uh, out there. But, you know, I'm, I'm half Zimbabwean. I'm originally from Zimbabwe. Okay. And, um, and, you know, I, you know, there's a lot of talk around, around land redistribution and everything mm-hmm. else. The one lesson I learned in Zimbabwe is that, um, is that those people that had mortgages were the last people to lose their properties. Yeah. And so I always say to South Africans, like, go and mortgage your property, yeah. coming back to why you shouldn't have it in cash. Yeah. Because then there's, then there's you know, I was, I, I was sitting with, with, with my banker the other day, I won't mention the bank, and I, and I said to him, he owns 80% of the house, I only own 20%. Yeah. And I said to him, so how do you feel about uh, the, the government <laughs> claims? And he goes, no, we're not worried. I'm like, well, as long as you're not worried, you're the 80% owner of yeah, this house. Yeah, yeah, sure. And I think my point being coming back to your ownership conversation is yeah. that you actually got to be honest with yourself. Like, mm. I own my house in Nisner, but actually I don't. Mm. Standard Bank owns 80% of it. Yes. Okay, so now that's where also the cash thing comes back as well. You see, so you, you never actually own it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sure. And that's why I was joking with him. I was like, so, you know, when, when, when the government takes away the house, how are you going to feel about this? You know, right. and, and that's the sense of understanding that I think a lot of people don't have. You know, mm. they think they own the house. They don't actually own the house. The bank owns the house. So you, you, it seems like you have your approach to life is kind of tactical. You know, everything is almost calculated. Um, it has to be. <laughs> that's a very good thing. I admire you for that. Um, so how do you look at things like marriage? How could one approach, you know, relationships and marriage? Say to the, especially we have a lot of younger people listening to this podcast as well, who are probably not married, maybe engaged or something like that. Dude, now there's a couple if of... You're th- trying a, if you're trying to figure there's a, there's out... There's a couple of things I understand and laugh, and there's a couple of things I don't understand, and yeah. I'm certainly not going to sit here and try to say I'm an expert in relationships. But I'll give you... I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you let me but try, just related let me to try to think of like three tips, okay? Mm-hmm. So the first thing when it comes to marriage for me is that um, I... You know, I believe our 20s are for exploring and learning who we are. Okay. And, you know, I honestly believe... You know, I spend my, my 20s in London... Go out there and find out who you are. Meet lots of people. Mm. You know what I mean? I, I just—I it, think it's really sad when people settle down. You know, in the early twenties, mm. there's plenty of time to have a long-term commitment. You know? sure. so that, that's my opinion. I'm not saying it's right. It's my yeah. opinion. The second thing is, you know, is there's actually a lot of tests out there now. You know, when when you get like those tests that you get tested when you join a company. Yeah. Like there's a lot of tests out there now to make sure that you've got common similarities and whatever. Like, and you know, I. Why not? Why not use all these things to actually see if you if you really you know really are good? Yeah. And then for those of you that are in a relationship and or married, you know I was I've had the privilege of going to Necker Island twice with Richard Branson, mm. and um, one of the things we do when we go there, you go with about twenty five entrepreneurs, and I mean he's an amazing man, but but the other twenty five are pretty interesting, you know, really incredible people. Yeah. And we play this game called Hacks for Life, and everyone has to like share the hacks, like little simple things, tricks that they do to have a more impressive life. Yeah. And one of the things that really impressed me was that, um, was that, well, I shared my hack for life, which is that my wife and I have a, a relationship coach. Mm. Okay, so most people have a life coach, a business coach, a gym coach, but they don't have a relationship coach. Mm. And at least once a month we go see this lady, and 
And you know, everyone at, at NECA was like, wow, we don't have that. We're going to start doing that. And I, for me, it was so common sense. Like, I've got a business coach. I've got yeah. a life coach. I've why got a gym coach. Why would I not have a relationship coach? Yeah. So, so you know, I'm a big person for coaching and getting better. And anyway, so that, that's where the relationship coach came in. And um, you know, I just highly recommend that. Because if you right. think about it, like your, your marriage, your relationship is one of the most important things you've got in your life. Okay, So wouldn't you want to just get better and better and better? at being involved in that relationship and how can you do that without an external coach yes you know every great sports team or sports person in the world has a coach absolutely why do we not all have coaches for everything we want to be great at man let's end it here this was the most um, selfish podcast ever because it was mostly about what I wanted to hear from you <laughs> <laughs> but thanks so much for your awesome. time well, thanks very much. we should do it again sometime. no 100% well let me know how I can help uh, add value and to anyone who's online you know I, I really just ask you to to empower yourself and, and to believe in yourself and most importantly to realize that you can have the freedom you want in your life you've just got to go out there and find the knowledge and get started right and how can people find you on social media uh, you know, I'm really easy I'm Scott Pickin there's not a lot of us yeah. chicken with a P <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I'm on LinkedIn YouTube Facebook social, like tw- uh, Telegram yeah. come check us come chat on the wealthy uh, wealthy coin chat chat sure. group you know we're pretty active on that so right. I'd love to engage with people and we've also I've got a hashtag ask God anything Right. So, you know, I, you heard my dad's story. I'm passionate about sharing with people mm. because I, I honestly believe that we need to break the shackles of impoverishment in our brains yeah. and then we can solve the world's biggest problem. And you mentioned about the book that you don't mind sharing with my oh, audience. I'll send, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. That'll be incredible. So it's basically propertygoinglobal.com, but I'll, I'll send it to you and you can, okay. you can put, put it down below, basically. Yeah. All right. Thanks okay. so much. No problem. Cheers, guys. Cool. Thanks very much. Hey guys, just before you leave, I just want to say thanks for listening to the interview. I hope you guys learned something uh, like I did. And if you have anything to comment on, feel free to comment in the comment section on my pot, uh, on my website. And if you have anything you want to say to me or just want to get in touch or even for coffee, feel free to contact me through my website. There's a contact section. You can email me from there. And if you have anything to say to our today's guest, you can obviously hit them up. The links are in the description of the podcast. Obviously, you can use social media and stuff. So I hope you have subscribed. If you haven't, probably you should go ahead and do that through your podcast app, through iTunes, SoundCloud, and you can get the first notifications as soon as the new podcast is out. And if you have somebody who you think I should definitely uh, interview on the podcast, please make that suggestion, email me, and I'll be happy to hear from you and get hold of them. Until the next episode, I would like to thank you and wish you an incredible week ahead. Hustle harder.